Ron Elving, good morning to you. Good to be with you, Catherine. We've spent quite a bit of time this morning discussing the Middle East situation and also your Secretary of State's visits to neighbouring states. So uh, just presume that and uh, pick up perhaps on Washington, D.C.'s latest actions and statements with respect to what's happening there. The United States at the highest levels, the White House, uh, President Biden, Secretary of State Blinken, are doing everything they can to keep the situation from escalating greatly. So we've already seen thousands killed because of the Hamas attack. And then in retribution, the Israeli airstrikes. We are still expecting a land invasion of Gaza that has been perhaps mercifully delayed. But at the same time, people are piling up inside the hospital compounds and other supposed sanctuaries where they expect not to be bombed. And that is becoming a humanitarian crisis and disaster in and of itself. So there is talk of President Biden literally going to Israel himself to try to broker some sort of agreement or to at least restrain some of the response. Uh, Certainly, Secretary Blinken has been, as you say, all over the neighboring states trying to keep all of the actors essentially restrained because we know how quickly this could escalate into another situation like the Yom Kippur War it was commemorating 50 years ago. What is it that you believe the Secretary of State is specifically doing here? Uh, Is it uh, trying to elicit patience perhaps from neighbouring states and to perhaps warn of what would happen were there to be an escalation or a widening of the fronts? Is it trying to sort out a humanitarian support package? What, what is it? There are a great number of, if you will, diplomatic fronts, among other things, opening the gateway to Egypt so that supplies can get in and some refugees can come out. There has been a good deal of sensitivity about that refugee flow on the part of the Egyptians, but the Gazan border with Egypt is also very important. Of course, it's it's not embattled the way the Israeli border is, but it is highly important to allowing Gazans to deal with this situation. Something like a million of the inhabitants of Gaza have been on the move, whether trying to get into Egypt or just trying to get away from the Gaza City attacks of the Israeli Air Force. They are on the move and they are going to have to be dealt with in refugee manner, refugee camps or repatriated somewhere. And this is an enormous challenge. So that's a big part of the diplomatic effort. Another part is just trying to keep everyone in place for the moment so that Hezbollah does not attack in the northern part of Israel from its bases in Lebanon and so that other nation states in the area do not get involved in the fighting And, of course, ultimately to try to put together some sort of coalition to withstrain the Iranian connection here to both Hamas and most particularly Hezbollah, which is a longtime client of of Iran. So this, this is trying to keep the conflict from widening, trying to keep it from worsening, trying to, in some sense or another, ameliorate what will be otherwise uh, perhaps... uh, Well, I don't want to describe what could happen if the entire internal Israeli defense force were to be unleashed on Gaza City. On home soil in the United States, a Palestinian-American boy has been killed. Do we know of the circumstances? Yes, there's been a good deal put forward by the prosecutors. Today they charged an individual in Chicago, uh, or it's actually an unincorporated area just outside of Chicago in Illinois, 
uh, an elderly man who appears to have been having various and sundry kinds of delusions, uh, apparently knocked on the door of these rooms that he rented to the Palestinian woman and her son, uh, began assaulting her, telling her that uh, you Muslims must die. Uh, he had apparently been absorbing a great deal of coverage of the fighting and the Hamas attacks, uh, primarily from radio, primarily from the right-wing radio that is a, a big feature of many local areas in the United States. And uh, when she locked herself in the bathroom, he turned on her son, whom he was able to stab 36 times. So the boy has expired. His name was Wadia Al-Fayumi, and his mother uh, is in critical condition in a hospital there. This is a tragedy that has been cited not only by many people there in Illinois, but by the president himself. President Biden has spoken to it and said, let us have an end to this kind of violence here in the United States as well as in the Middle East itself. Now, of course, in the meantime, you have a house without a speaker. And is there any progress towards an agreement on a new speaker? There does seem to be some progress. The nominee of the Republican Party as of Friday is Jim Jordan. He is a well-known, hardcore activist and uh, was described by a previous speaker as a legislative terrorist. Uh, so you could not move more in the direction of Donald Trump than to choose Jim Jordan to be the new speaker. Trump has endorsed him. It's not clear just how much Trump has been actually working the phones on his behalf. But some Trump surrogates have been. Um, for example, Sean Hannity of Fox News was reportedly making phone calls directly to members to tell them to vote for Jordan. And many of the organizations, we'll call them right-wing populist organizations in this country, have been pressuring members, particularly those they thought were loyal to their cause or loyal to Trump, to line up for Jim Jordan. Now, there's a vote scheduled for noon tomorrow, uh, U.S. time, in East Coast time. And uh, if that vote is possibly not going to have the 217 votes that Jordan would need, if he's a few votes shy then they will have another vote and another vote, much like we did in January for Kevin McCarthy's election, in an attempt to grind down the opposition. Uh, last week, it looked like there might be 50 votes that uh, Jordan still needed to get. Today, there's talk of that being as few as 15, possibly even as few as 10. If that's the case, they could probably, let us say, eliminate that uh, opposition uh, by having multiple votes tomorrow, tomorrow night, and the day after until somebody is elected speaker. What happened to Steve Scalise, who had been nominated? He couldn't get to 217. And when it became clear that he was going to be substantially shy of that number, partly because of personal animosities and, and things that really don't have anything to do with most people's idea of politics, or certainly not ideology or policy, but just because somebody didn't support somebody else for some other job, that sort of thing, and also a certain amount of trepidation about whether or not Steve Scalise would be up to the job. He has a currently is uh, being treated with chemotherapy for blood cancer. Uh, does not appear to be a fatal kind of diagnosis, but he is not a well man. So that was also a factor in a lot of people's thinking. And when it was clear he was not going to be able to win on the floor, he simply removed himself from consideration. Uh, and at this point, uh, he is among those who is supporting Jordan. Is there anybody else then, or is it just a matter of grinding down the opposition with Jordan looking like he's going to be uh, selected? 
There was a candidate who emerged on Friday completely out of the blue. No one was expecting it at all. A seven-termer who had been relatively low-key, but just that morning decided he was going to run for speaker because someone needed to do that against Jim Jordan. He got remarkably 80 votes, and uh, that's a lot for someone who hadn't campaigned at all. So there may be someone else who leaps into the fray. Even though there is now a Republican nominee, it would be possible for other Republicans to be nominated. And so another name could emerge. And if that were the case, that gives all the people who are hesitant to vote for Jim Jordan a place to go. So that might very well be the key question that you have just asked. If there is another candidate who emerges who is in any sense viable, that would probably mean Jim Jordan was done. Thank you, as always. That is Ron Elving. He is with NPR Based in Washington, D.C., he is senior editor and correspondent Washington Desk.